Excellent. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 14 of season 2 of the iSphere. I'm I. I'm Joy. And today we have like a lineup because we've basically been storing all the good tidbits over the course of the past several weeks. Um, but are you a fan of comedy, Joy? <laughs> I am, which is interesting because the person we're talking about next is not a comedian. Uh. Yeah, I mean, it's like a kind of fascinating way because, like, I have I have seen him appear on TikTok, and you know, he's always he's always got that sparkling smile, um, and you know, arguably good-looking guy. Don't get me don't get me wrong. Um, His little jawline. Yeah, but for some reason, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Matt Rife very popular on like TikTok and Facebook videos and stuff like that. Like, I see quite a lot of them doing like crowd work um and he's always flirting with someone in his audience or he's always having like a bit of like super friendly banter um and he got his netflix special um Mm -hmm. like this week or last week it kind of released yeah it launched and And like i think his first quote-unquote joke he just dropped a domestic violence joke in there like literally first up and I think, like, for an audience who's primarily female, um, it's quite a bold one to open oh, with. Here's the backstory. <laughs> he is very popular on TikTok because he is very popular with um, straight white women, basically. Yeah. He appeals to them based on looks. They think he's very funny, very sassy, very snarky, and... He took the the fame that they gave him after after he had this is speculation that he had jaw surgery to make himself look more attractive because after he had the jaw surgery because if you Google the before and after before he's an average good looking guy now he's got a jaw that you could bounce steel off of and <laughs> he took the popularity given to him by his female audience the the numbers of the algorithm numbers that he got from his female audience on TikTok that got him his Netflix special. And he basically turned around and is like, I'm a misogynist and I don't care. It's, and like to take this on a wee bit further, because obviously there was the initial reaction to that joke that he attempted. Um, he decided to do like an apology on Instagram where he like linked to an external link and it sent them to websites for helmets for people with disabilities yeah it's a helmet uh, like the a helmet safety helmet safety helmets for people with seizures who fall down and injure themselves so he's also a misogynist and an ableist it is a like swell guy just wonderful just kind of like fascinating though like in terms like not not in a way of voice is is a really interesting subject but like why would you nook your career like that it is because i mean beforehand he was just the you know fairly attractive comedian guy on tiktok that your mum watches and now it's like trying to make discourse about himself like if you if you wanted to really nuke your career or like nuke your current standing i don't know why you would do that unless of course Yeah, I have a theory, and it's the theory that he wants to appeal to a more right-wing audience. I think he wants to be on the Joe Rogan podcast. 
Um, okay. And he's perfectly set himself up to do that. But like, he, to what yeah. end? Like, I mean, you know, you've already got your Netflix special. I, f I feel like there is actually a general, general like curse of Netflix specials. If you're a comedian that's in any sort of good moral standing and you're offered a Netflix special, I feel like it's a kind of like a curse. <laughs> Um, there are some people who get their Netflix specials and they don't do anything horrific with it. And those people, I feel, are comedians who've actually come up through the, the comedy circuit. They've actually worked for their credentials. They've gone through all, they, you know, they've done every stand-up in every grotty club possible. Yeah. And then there's the ones that are just kind of, they get a little bit famous from, like, TikTok or, you know, sitcom exposure and they decide, oh, I can do stand-up. Whereas stand-up is mo many skills at once. Um, and I have lots of friends that do stand-up, and I've got a friend who's been doing stand-up for 50 years, and I was actually talking to him about this, and he was like, he ha the guy has no sense of timing that doesn't work outside of a TikTok 60-second story. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that, because, like, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, this, this guy is apparently, like, tickets for his shows are, like, $275 or something like yeah. that. They're, like... Like, that's expensive. Like, you wouldn't catch me fucking paying that for any gig, really. Um, like, whether it's comedian or whether it's fucking music, I, I wouldn't pay that much for a, a ticket to go and see someone live. Um, so you can see who he very much, uh, appealing to that middle-class suburban mum uh, who thinks he's just the cutest little boy. <laughs> Such a weird, because I actually watched the special. I watched the special with a migraine, so I was very uncharitable. With it. Like, <laughs> I was already going into it going, this guy's a wanker, but I, I came out of it just like, oh, excuse you, Holly. I came out of it just hating him even more, because you can hear the audience is primarily female. And again, I was talking to my friend who does the stand-up comedy, and he pointed out that when you're doing recordings, um, you normally look for depth for laughter because it reverberates more and it's possible that he's angry that he's not getting the same range of laughter that other comedians are getting because the laugh track for his thing is very feminine sounding and it doesn't sound as funny to certain like companies and stuff because they're looking for the like the you know the different pitches because the masculine laughter tends to reverberate a bit deeper so it makes the the women's laughter sound more obvious so to them it was just it was a really fascinating thing that he pointed out to me he was just like he's like no it could actually be that he's just annoyed that from a recording standpoint it doesn't sound as good as other comedians who have a wider audience so it could be that he's trying to appeal to more men by making these misogynistic jokes to get more men to come to his shows but that's and like I, like to what end? You're, 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 like, okay, you're, like you're already, yeah, but you're like, already selling out venues and charging two hundred and seventy-five dollars. Like again, to what, to what fucking end? Like why would you do that? Like if, yeah, yeah. like, I, I would be quite content in his position. To be perfectly fair, I mean, like you know, I've, the the amount of times that I've seen, you know, like, good-looking mums that are, like, <laughs> silicon to hell, like, bring him goodie know. bags, and, you know, the amount of times that, you know, like, <laughs> there's, like, women in the fucking audience with, like, free blowjob on a t-shirt for him and stuff. It's yeah, like, it's what's really... he, what's, like, from his position, what's he lacking? 
It's like male approval. That's male approval. This is a very plan is to get on Joe Rogan. I think he wants male approval. I think he's a very insecure man who does. He did all the cosmetic surgery and everything else. I don't even think he did it for women. I think he did it to himself to appeal to this idea of hyper masculinity that he's trying to appeal to. I think he's obviously very insecure in himself that he has this wonderful audience that's paying in excess of $200 for him and he feels it's not good enough. Um, it, it's bizarre to me, like literally after, straight after the domestic violence joke, he launched into a hating on women who look at tarot cards and crystals. And while we can mock those things all you want for people that, you know, we've talked about it in the past, we've talked about people who get indoctrinated into cults and stuff and how it doesn't, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not common sense stuff to like use crystals instead of going to the doctor. Yeah. Because it, but he's doing it to make fun of them and to make them seem stupid and dumb and like mm. just the whole comedy was a setup for yes i know my audience is primarily female of a certain demographic i'm going to make them as uncomfortable as possible but i'm hopefully going to get their husbands to laugh so that the husbands become my fans and i don't think it worked um for a lot of them or maybe I'm, it I'm... did i don't know I feel like you're in the wrong kind of industry, though, if you want to try and pivot hard to... Because, like, I don't know. I feel like... I know, I know I'm know, i not a misogynist, but if... Like, if I, if I was and I agreed with a comedian who was overly misogynist, I wouldn't pay $275 to go and see it. Mm. I mean, like, you're kind of in the wrong industry for that. I mean, I do know people who've spent probably around that to go and see like Jordan Peterson talk but god he's not a fucking comedian um, I, I've been doing comedy circuit I go to comedy circuits I've been, I went to, used to go to the stand in Edinburgh all the time when I was younger Yeah. Um, and the, there's the Acme Comedy Club here in Minnesota that I so before COVID we used to go fairly often mm. and we we paid I think it was $60 to go see Dwight Slade who was Bill Hicks's best friend growing up for anyone who doesn't know Bill Hicks, he was a very kind of um, outspoken comedian who also said a lot of things that pissed people off. Mm. But he was doing it not to be misogynistic. He was doing it to make you uncomfortable so that you think about things. Like he was, it's so annoying because a lot of the things he said came true and it was things that people were upset about because he talked about the evils of marketing and how yeah. you're just like, one of his famous lines was, oh, you're just sucking on the cock of capitalism. People found that offensive. And now we're in 2023 and I'm like, oh God, he was right. Like, just, <laughs> we, like, all, we all have to suck on the cock of capitalism. I know. Um, but yeah, I mean, people are also bringing up Bo Burnham. Like I, there's, there's so many people who are not insecure with their masculinity, who can make uncomfortable content. Yeah. Like, the, the, the goal is to make you feel, feel something like uh, maybe amused but also like to also reflect on things it's kind of like the classic the court jester you know the jesters everyone always like oh the jester's just there to make the king laugh no the jester's also there to point the finger at the king and go you're being an idiot yeah and they, yeah. Had, they had immunity from that they were allowed to be like hey i'm god's fool i'm telling you you're being you know don't kill those peasants you know like and it's some comedians do step into that role where they're very much like hey let's look at this really uncomfortable thing that's happening in our society and i'll try to make a laugh about it like yeah. kind of like um the the what's his name oh god i've john oliver um right who yeah, yeah. The, the last week tonight show he will frequently look at subjects that are harrowing 
and he'll occasionally make you laugh so that you don't just give in to the soul-crushing despair. Um, yeah. And it takes skill to be able to make jokes out of, you know, the medical Horrible system. things happening, yeah. Yeah, it, it, and I have never come away... Like, there's been a couple of times I've come away from his shows where I've been like, oh, that... Like, he made an ableist joke a couple of years ago, um, mocking people that use disability devices. But he didn't. He wasn't aware of that. He was seeing what his writers told him to do, and yeah. it was it was like this: the infomercials you see on American television for this, like who would ever use a device to help you put your socks on? Well, people with you know mobility issues. Mm. Oh, like you could you could see it was that kind of like oh we didn't realize that. Oops, sorry. And in other episodes, he's gone through and talked about these things as well and how it's like a necessity. So it shows kind of growth in humanity. Um, Whereas you have comedians that just want to make you uncomfortable for the sake of being uncomfortable. And I don't think that's comedy. I just think that's bullying. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, it's like, I, I quite like Stuart Lee. Um, Stuart Lee can be quite funny in yeah. terms of making people uncomfortable, but I think, yeah, he doesn't do it in a way that's like, he's not being offensive about it. He's just putting people in a position where they don't really know if they should laugh or not. And then mm -hmm. that makes them want to laugh. Um, and I think like a lot of it is, you know, you, I feel, I don't know. I think there's, there's the comedy that like, I mean, it's not remotely subtle. The joke that Matt Rife says, like right at the start, the domestic violence one is so like, obviously guy just trying to talk to his friends, like, you know, overly, overly masculine, that kind of like joshing with the lads kind of thing yeah. but in a like I, again don't know why that it would was, be your opener it, it was very weird to watch it was it was almost a he goes from being oh my god so thankful to be here can't believe it straight into joking about a, a waitress <laughs> getting punched yeah but it was a total shift in mannerism as well. Like you could see he, he brought yeah. his shoulders forward. He, he looked really nervous saying it to an extent. Like he, yeah. he, he looked uncomfortable, like changing into the kind of posture to see the joke. It looked it really was odd. Like he was trying to be as ma like trying to be as hyper masculine as possible, and it just came off as very insecure, very you know punching down because that's yeah. what it was. Um, and just very kind of, I know I'm saying something controversial, uh, but I'm going to say it anyway because I think it will get some good laughs from the guys in the room. And you could hear this, the laughter going upwards in a kind of like yeah. nervous... Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> That doesn't sound... Welcome to my Netflix it. special. Yeah, it, it was just such a weird... Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be... Pardon my language. If you're going to be a cunt, you got to say it with your whole chest. If if you're going to do that, <laughs> and don't don't look even more doing. insecure while you're telling your misogynist jokes. Exactly. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know how much more else could be said. I don't like. We've not seen any sort of repercussion apart from him being a bit of a twat on Instagram and like going down the the ableism route. But it, it just it looks like a guy who's almost got a plan to nuke how his career is to date. And just have like a really hard pivot to, I suppose, whatever he wants it to be next. Now, this could obviously just be trying to get on the kind of right wing circuit, or he wants a bit of controversy to try and get his name out there more. But like, 
I, I don't want to speak too badly about my 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 gender, but you know, there's there's plenty of guys telling misogynistic jokes out there. He's not. It's like you know, quite a saturated fucking market, and I don't know why anyone would go and like listen to him try and be edgy with it over any other cunt down the pub who wants to say stuff like that. Um. I'm I'm guessing it's controversy farming, but I I don't I don't yeah. know. Which is again, it comes from being on TikTok because he's used to getting. He didn't come up through again, as I said earlier. He did not come up through the comedy circuit. He came up through TikTok. He is used to appealing to an algorithm, and nothing feels the algorithm more than controversy. That's yeah. what he was doing. He was playing to his strengths, which is how to be an algorithm clickhole. And I don't think yeah. we're going to see much of him in terms of a career. I think he's just going to be an asshole that you hear making occasionally bad comments about. And to be honest, the, the one thing I've seen is that he went from being the number two show on Netflix on in the US to being, you know, outstripped by young Sheldon. And honestly, I don't think there can be a more scathing <laughs> review that you got beat by young Sheldon. Yeah. I, I just the number one's currently the crown, <laughs> young child, and something else, and then it's Matt Rife, and it's like, oh, you've already, yeah, okay, you're already losing. You know what? Um, the, like, yeah. this is a complete aside. You know what's really weird about Young Sheldon is that, Go like, the I, I, they're, they're like they're they're fuckload of seasons into Young Sheldon. I feel like Young Sheldon's existed for quite a long time now, right? But all of the marketing portrays young Sheldon as he was in like season one. He's now like a, he's grown up. He's 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 like a he's like an old young Sheldon. And it's just weird now. It's like every every single bit of marketing for young Sheldon has him as he was when the show first started. They've not shown this actor age at all. It's really weird. Um, you just look look up what young Sheldon looks like now. He's he's like entering. I, I don't know what age he was when it started. He must have been like seven or eight. He, I think he's about twelve now. He does exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. He, he, but he, he, at the same time, he doesn't. I know it's just like the kind of uncanny valley of like not aging but also aging at the same time. Yeah, that's funny. And, like the thing is, if you if you if you look if you look him up on like IMDb, it's obviously they're trying to keep this man as young as possible. <laughs> they can't they, they can't get rid of him. It's the episode of The Simpsons where you find out that Martin's actually a thirty six year old FBI undercover cop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it known known for a young Sheldon? Why many seasons of fucking young Sheldon? There's seven seasons of young Sheldon. Oh my god. I can honestly say I've seen none of them. Uh, yeah, me neither. Like, yeah, like I, I, I don't know. I, I, I never watched Big Bang Theory. I think I, I, I tried to watch a bit of it, and then I was just like, "Nope, this is horrible." Um, but it yeah, relies on secondhand embarrassment too much for me because I start to cringe inward. I'm like a yeah. purple, I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, bizarre. Can't believe it's got seven seasons. But anyway, I think that, that concludes our fucking Matt Rife chat. Uh, God knows where he'll end up. I don't think he's smart enough to do the right-wing political thinker circuit. Like, I don't see him as a 
Ben Shapiro or anything like that, you know? He's not... He doesn't seem like that kind of guy. I think no. he's... Yeah. I think I he's just going to be a bit it's shit. Just, it's, so, it's like, it would be like me complaining about furries enjoying hunger pangs. Like, why would I insult the people with the most money? <laughs> so like, yeah. Like, like, why would I piss off werewolf fans? I don't understand. Like, I just... I, uh, that, again, that was a thing that when I first announced hunger pangs, I had people going like, good luck with all the furries. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Yes, please. <laughs> please, <laughs> give, give, give me that <laughs> fucking problem. Yeah. Give me the people with the money to buy my book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like, oh, it's, I just don't understand. Like, if you have the, one of the most lucrative markets, white, straight women of America, why would you give up on that? Why would you try to alienate that? I don't understand. Like, literally, you find the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and you go, ah, actually, I'm going to take a shit on it. Like, I just yeah. I don't understand. He's such a weird person. <laughs> yeah. Um... Oh, this is a, a good segue into. Um, I've I've been having a little bit of an existential crisis over the past like week, um, because I picked up this book that I want to tell you about. Um, it's called Children oh, yeah. of Time. Um, it's by Adrian Tchaikovsky. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, but he was like a fantasy author who Children of Time is actually his first sci-fi um, book, and. It has, like, absolutely fucked with me, like, the whole week, because I'm now just very, very... Yeah, I'm just, I'm very, very aware now of the concept of if we are able to one day cryogenically freeze ourselves, right, the concept of time will just be, like, fucked for good, right? Like, the, the premise of the story is amazing, so... Basically, humanity is at war over resources, and a the they want to colonize the universe as as we do. Um, and the the plan for this is they create a virus that like basically hyper evolutionizes species. So instead of trying to colonize through generations of humans, they want to put like primates on a terraformed planet put the virus down and within like 40 generations these primates will like hyper evolve and uh, be be human right and th that's the, the kind of general premise the whole thing goes horribly wrong funnily enough and the terraformed world they end up spreading the virus over a terraformed world that doesn't have the primates on it it has spiders on it um uh, oh. <laughs> and so this is this is where it gets really cool. So there's this there's there's a doctor uh, who's like a scientist. Her name is Avrana Kern, and she ends up being in this like tiny little capsule floating around the terraformed world, and she like sleeps for like hundreds and thousands of years at a time. And she's she started this, and you you also get chapters from the spider's perspective, which is is really fucking cool. It's good, right? It completely changes my view of spiders, right? Spiders are so fucking cool, right? They're they're just they're so clever, and so like this little like zero point five centimeter spider, like you learn about how like they're solitary hunters, but because they get these this virus, they start to like work together and they start to grow and and mate with each other over time, and you end up with like 
half a meter like sized spiders who are unbelievably fucking clever and have like their own language and culture and cities and stuff like that uh, and it is it's amazing I, like i actually get bored when there's a human chapter i'm like please give me another spider chapter because it's great so there's this spider yeah. called portia and she like like all of the spiders have the same names but like each chapter is like another generation so you can like mm-hmm. see it throughout the whole of time and the spiders have dealt with like war with the ants and they develop their own language which is really cool the the like basically play each other notes on webs and like the vibrations of the web is their language because adrian tchaikovsky he's a zoologist he's got a degree in zoology um so so uses all of his knowledge on how like uh, insects work so like how uh, ants communicate and pheromones and all this kind of stuff and how the spiders interact with them and everything is so fucking good i'm enjoying the shit out of it i'm like 300 pages in and it is uh it's it's wonderful i i'm having a great time with it but there is that is it kind of like a nature documentary (laughs) it It sounds a bit like it it kind of is yeah Uh, like obviously there's some really good characterization given to the spiders and you get like really invested in like one generation of spider and then the next chapter is like a descendant of the spiders that you were just reading about um really advanced charlotte's web yeah it's 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 fucking it's great it's so so good um, so yeah, I've been I've been enjoying that because I've been I kind of like brute forced myself to get back into reading because I'm in I'm in a little bit of a gaming slump at the moment, and I'm not just I'm not sure if it's because this year's obviously been really big for lots of games, but mm-hmm. like now there's a tiny little bit of a lull. It's either that or it's um, like I'm burnt out. <laughs> it's one or the other. Seasonal depression. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's either that or seasonal depression. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, gaming to me is I'm I get into a fixation with one game. As people know, I've been playing Gotham Knights religiously since mm. we did the last podcast. Um, and I know some people are really angry at the game for being super grindy. I don't care because I'm in a mood to do that. I'm not really yeah. in a place where I want new stuff to get into. And That's I find fair. that this at this time of the year, I find myself doing that. And I think it's because I don't have the energy for new stuff. Um, my brain just wants something that's comfortable and easy um, to just kind of slip into without actually getting too challenged, which sucks because the the game we're actually going to be talking about next, I think I would have probably fallen into that very easily with it being a very kind of cosy, kind of like non-challenging, mentally challenging game. And the developer made me not want to play it. So yeah, yeah, that's... It's a bit of a shame that, to be honest, but we'll get into that in a, in a wee second. I'm, yeah. I've been, I tried to play The Last of Us Part 1 um, because I hadn't, I hadn't played it, like the very first time I played it, I think it was on Jessica's like PlayStation 3 and I played like the original. So that's many years ago now. Um, and then obviously this year we've had um, like the actual series come out. And... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I like. I just. I found myself playing it and got like really bored. <laughs> like I was. I feel it's a very very narrative heavy game. Um. So maybe it was just the fact that I already knew the kind of individual steps of their journey that I wasn't really surprised by anything. Um. 
But you yeah. just made me realize that we started this year talking about The Last of Us. I'm going, how is that the same year? Yeah, fuck. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Um, uh, and then, like, the, the other game that I've been playing, and it's kind of like, I feel like I'm playing it, but I'm kind of keeping it at arm's length at the same time. I'm replaying Kingdom Come Deliverance. Um, I like that one. I do like that one. It's really good, but at the same time, it's it's so it's like a sim as well. It's, yeah. it's it's not like a medieval RPG as such. It's like you're you're playing as a medieval peasant, and if you want to learn how to use a sword, you've got to train for like four weeks of in-game time to get anywhere decent. Um, but it's it's good though, because like I I came off the back. I played Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. And we had a discussion about that last time. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I, I kind of semi-started another Baldur's Gate 3 playthrough. And then I was like, nope, I, I can't get too invested in that. I will lose all of my time. Um, so yeah, I've just kind of been like, di- like dithering about. And that's when I was like, I'm going to read instead. I'm going to try and channel this energy. Because I'll sit and read for hours at a time. If I, if I get into a book, I'll just sit there. I mean, I I demolished Hunger Pangs when I, I started reading that. I, like, I, I I couldn't put it down. Um, Thank you. Sounds nice to hear. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things. Exactly. Ah, oh, Tundra, you're oh, Tundra. on the mark. So yeah, go and pick up <laughs> Joy's book uh, from the PayHip link in chat, folks. Um, I'm gonna. I just briefly say thank you for people who did buy copies this week from my PayHip because my heating went out and it's snowing in Minnesota just now and <laughs> people that bought from my PayHip made sure my furnace was fixed. So thank you very much for that. Thank nice. you for using my PayHip. So. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I, I was, obviously I've taken this week off from streaming. Um, yeah, burnout. And, like, I was planning, I was looking forward to playing games when I came back and I was trying to get an idea of what my schedule might look like. And, there was one game that I'd had wishlisted forever, um, mm-hmm. and it was Spirit Tea. And I don't mm-hmm. want to shit talk Spirit Tea as a game because I know that the person who did the thread wasn't the dev. The dev is a solo guy who yeah. has worked exceptionally hard to get any game over the line, but it did leave a bit of a bad taste uh, when I was. Um, when I when I saw the the thread. So for, so for context, we yeah. have. Um, I don't know if we can pull it up, but there was a thread on Twitter by. I, I had it up a second ago. And then I, uh, somewhere, hopefully. So I've for those who are my young Spirit- Sheldon tabs. <laughs> Spirity is like a cross between uh, Spirited Away meets Stardew Valley. You, as a player, are in charge of a spirit hotel and you have to renovate it, take care of it, and take care of the spirits and earn rewards and money and stuff. And it looks fantastic. Like, no like no shade to any of the people that worked on it. It looks amazing. It's just unfortunate that this one person who was involved in some Twitter drama made a Thanks, lot of people Thunder. very unhappy. Yeah, I mean, t- like, this started, and I do think there is this... From my my time in the games industry, I feel like there's there's always a bit of a clamber for people to be seen as like thought leaders within the industry. So you get a lot of like 
a lot of people who try and tackle a specific like niche and um this this guy seemed particularly keen from a PR perspective to do a like a deep analysis of how the game's release went. So like, you know, release week. Now I think when he when he made the thread, yeah, the game had been released for maybe like a week and a half. But there was obviously there's just this burning desire to be like, I want to talk, I want to, you know, get the I want to get the likes, I want to get the views on mm-hmm. like how it performed on Xbox Game Pass, how how the marketing went, how all this. Now, bear in mind that this thread starts with the game was profitable on day one, uh, as in a, a, a million dollars plus on launch day, right? Which is phenomenal. Any game would love that. Absolutely, any game would love that. Um, obviously, there's AAA games that take a lot more, but the like any game that is profitable mm-hmm. on launch day. Is a is a hit as far as the developers concerned because the lifetime of that game, um, you know, you'll notice that games that come out on Steam they kind of regularly uh, go down in price whenever there's a sale that comes round. So you know, you start off, you te- you maybe do like a launch sale for an indie game's perspective, you would do it around ten percent. You would want to maintain that ten percent during sales for as long as possible. Um, and then you would probably go to 15 and then you would go to 20 and then 25 and then you might want to do like a third off and you basically scale it over the lifetime of the the game to the point where you know there'll be people maybe five or six years from now who'll maybe consider picking it up at 80 percent off or or whatever Mm -hmm. um but that's the way that like these are, are, are structured um and obviously for indie games uh you know they're fighting for visibility all the time. So like that, that's one of the, that's very much one of the kind of key things and why there has been this huge monumental shift in terms of, um, you know, content creators and the focus on content creators and being content creators, getting access to games and being sponsored to play games. Um, and it's all under the guise of marketing. It's not reviews, it's marketing and advertising. And, uh, you know, I I was saying to a bunch of uh, people who are watching here when we were talking about it in the Discord, um, I obviously, whenever I'm sponsored, I make sure that I follow all the ad guidelines. I see it's an ad. I see throughout the stream that this has been given to me either by a PR company or by the studio uh, themselves. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, I'm hoping that I get a copy of a Highland song uh, which is coming out. That's a game set in the Scottish Highlands that hopefully we'll be playing pretty soon. Um, but you'll you'll have noticed that like throughout my time streaming, it's obviously really really important that you're transparent about this stuff because don't get me wrong, I know that a lot of a lot of my community are watching for for me, but I feel like there's that mutual understanding that when I am streaming a game that I have been given, they are being advertised to. And I think a lot of people recognise that. Um, Some people, like, it it might not, I suppose this is the kind of fine balance between how people interpret it, because I think people will be exposed to games that maybe they wouldn't otherwise see unless I played them. But that's the kind of fine line, and that's where, unfortunately, this Twitter thread kind of gets wrong. So the guy, Mike, um, posted a screenshot of YouTube 
with Spirit Tea in the search bar and a couple of the videos that kind of first uh, come up. And complained about the that they said we got absolutely zero YouTube coverage at all. Now in the screenshot there is a Mad Morph uh YouTuber who has streamed Star uh, you know new cozy game uh is Stardew Valley mixed with spirited away and that has forty one thousand views. Um mm -hmm. Then got the Cozy Gaming Club with played 30 Days of Spirit Tea, and that's 10,000 views. Um, and you've got a couple other creators who have who've covered the game. And I think I was on every single anticipated, like I thought, I, I really anticipated Cozy Games, it. yeah. Anticipated Cozy Games. Every single thing I've scrolled past on TikTok and Instagram, it has been featured because the hype around this game has been phenomenal. Because it is, it's like the combination of like, I mean, Spirited away, yeah. Valley. It, it is. sounds fantastic. Yeah, um, I mean, who wouldn't want it, to play that? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was that. I mean, there was one TikToker who had something like um, one hundred eighty thousand views, and it was just the anticipation for this game. Yeah. And unfortunately, Mike Rose felt the need to be to say, "Oh, we didn't have any support from any influencers because I don't want to pay for it. And it's like, well, you still got it. You just didn't pay for it. So essentially you are dismissing free labor. Yeah. And I think like here there's a fundamental understanding because I think there's there's this initial tweet and this initial thread that kicked off the discourse because they said, go search Spirit Tea on YouTube. You'll see there's just a couple of big videos. Nearly every YouTuber who got back to us wanted money to make a video. Now, look, I get it. That's just how this works now. YouTubers want you to pay them to cover your games. All right, sure. But I just don't want to do that. It feels weird and icky and disingenuous, and I just can't do it. So I guess our games won't get covered on YouTube anymore. Now, because, of course, the fact that we still managed a $1 million launch without any influencer support makes me think, what could have been achieved if we did pay some people? So maybe I'll be forced to in the future, but God, I really just don't want to. It's so fucking ugh. And the the thing with that is, obviously, there was a lot of people who covered the game for, for free. As in, they had tried to email to get a free game code. Now, I suppose, like, I also just want to kind of clarify here, because we ended up talking about this in Discord as well. Um, I feel like, some of my audience were under the impression that every game that I put ads next to, I am getting paid to cover that game. And if only that were the case, I would I would be absolutely delighted with that. But um, actually, the, the reason why I put ad in there is because receiving any product for free that you do a demo of also counts as an ad. It's, so, it's, it's something more like, why can't you mark it as gifted? By but, law, in the US, in the you have to market as ad, and the UK as and well. UK. So you can't, you can't just put it as gifted. You have to put ad on it. So sometimes you'll see ad slash gifted to clarify that. But yeah. it's not that you know. It feels as if we're being forced to be disingenuous when we say, "Oh, this is like it's gifted, but it's not an ad." But it's yeah. just it's the stipulation put on us by the tax people. Yeah. So, and I think like. I think Gray, Gray's made a great point in chat there. Feel something got lost here. Creators who are games influencers versus creators who are games reviewers. 
There are overlaps, but they're not the same thing. And I'd say the vast majority of, you know, content creators slash influencers, if you want to call them that, they are not running review channels. I, I would say it is completely disingenuous and I would argue unethical if you are paid to review a product and a, you accept payment for it because you will be inherently biased. Um, and, you know, when I've yeah. been... You know, I've I've been played games that I've been gifted, and I've had mixed reviews quite a lot of the time. You know, there's been some games this year that I've played where you know it's not been all rosy and and wonderful, and something you know you've just got to kind of see it as it is. But what I think a lot of people don't quite understand, and what a lot of people who there was the initial reaction to this thread, and then there was like the backlash to the backlash where a lot of the gaming press, who are quite a clique to say the very least, um, they reacted to this in a way that all content creators don't deserve to be paid at all because, you know, gaming press, you know, whether it's IGN or whatever, don't get paid to review games. <laughs> whether or not they actually do get paid to review games is up for a uh, question with some of the... Um, interesting scores that they give out um but i I, like i think it it was the kind of and i suppose this is a one thing we've kind of got to constantly remind ourselves is that the the games industry is pretty immature in in general as in it's not a very old industry it's a young Mm -hmm. industry and you know i think people will probably get hung up if i if i was to say i am covering a game it's because I've been sent a key and I'm streaming it. If a games reviewer says they're covering a game, it means they're writing a review about it. And I think this was quite deliberately misinterpreted for discourse on Twitter. I, I think there was there it was a lot. Deliberate. It did feel deliberate to me, but just watching it from like a a book side of things. Mm publishers know the difference between sending out uh arc copies which is our advanced review copies which is yeah. what a lot of these people asking for the free keys were like you know yeah. to me asking for a free key is like asking for an arc you're not obligated to give a good review but you are wanting to get on it so you can talk about it because it looks interesting to you uh usually if you don't like it you don't say anything um yeah. but if you want to make sure that you know, a big author or a big book reviewer talks about your thing, you schedule a payment for that because it's marketing at that point, not yeah. a review. Yeah. And and that's, you know, that is it at the end of the day. I mean, people, again, paying for a review score, I'm, com- I'm completely against that. But, mm-hmm. like, people don't pay me to review the game. They pay me to put it in front of the audience that I have cultivated over years. Um, and that's before we get into, you know, the whole scheduling and editing and all this kind of stuff. Sometimes there's a, can you make us TikToks for it? And it's like, at that point, you're just outsourcing your marketing to a streamer. You're not paying for a review. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it did, it well, did end up was, coming across as pretty. There was one cozy gamer who, they were in the tweet. And they pointed out that they did 40 plus hours of work on the free coverage that they did manage to do. 
and yeah. then for him to turn around and say we had no help from online content creators yeah and the thing really was is like that that cozy creator wasn't expecting payment for it either and i think a lot of no. people ended up dead saying like the 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 spun this as being about the money where like it for a lot of people it was a uh, oh you actually just shat all over me even though i put in a whole bunch of effort to cover the game um mm -hmm. they didn't expect payment for it and they paid for the game because they didn't receive a code for free um now like yeah on on the flip side as well i think content creators are almost entirely in the right to ask for payment for certain things um the the reason for this is like i i get i get sent like 10 keys a week now for games right as in like i don't even apply for these keys people like i i, I will say one thing and this is uh <laughs> just from a data protection perspective it's absolutely non-existent in the the influencer manager space uh, i think that people swap spreadsheets and email addresses and everything mm -hmm. like anybody's business so that i am it's the, same, it's the same with the book side of things as well like i i'm on a list for some publisher and i'm like how did i get there and it's basically yeah. oh someone else gave me your details from someone else who got the deal i'm like cool yeah <laughs> that's yeah not great um but like i mean it's it's one of those things that in a year of games that's been as as good on the game side as possible like people have absolutely packed schedules you're not like when you pay a content creator who would maybe otherwise do organic like coverage you're paying to skip the queue and get slotted in early for lunch as well. Um, Compensating them for any loss of revenue they'd normally get from their usual audience. Yeah. So, like, a couple of the people I saw that they reached out to asking to cover their game, they would not be interested in a cosy game. So they'd yeah. lose their usual audience numbers and audience figures. So that's what you're also compensating for. You're compensating for any potential loss of income from covering something that is not usually in your wheelhouse. It would be like me um, reading, reviewing horror books instead of romance. You know, yeah. my usual audience is going to go, mm, not too keen on that. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it's a very kind of like, it's an understanding within the industry. And I do, and at least in publishing, and I think that's what the game industry is lacking because, as you say, they are very young as an industry that they're kind of figuring things out. And it's just, it's a weird, it's really weird to see these companies just not getting it. Yeah, um, to be honest, I, like I think the 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 biggest hurdle to the games industry tends to be the language. Anyway, is like they borrow yeah. from a lot of things. So like content creators started using coverage, um, which to be honest, probably they shouldn't have. But that got all of the that you know you think of coverage, you think press coverage, and yes. that like assigned content creators as being part of the press as opposed to being part of marketing. Um, which is like you know, it's it's the same with um producers, producers in the industry, right? Producers can be anything. They they can be they can be like people who are like program managers or project managers at the end of the day, or they can be completely you know they can be executive producing and not have anything to do with it. They you know so it's. I feel like the industry needs to kind of get its own language sorted, but that that'll never fucking happen so long as 
all the studios are kind of siloed in their own thing and they don't really, you know, they've all got their own ways of working, um, which obviously makes it a lot harder for people to jump from studio to studio. Uh, you've okay. got to be in with a certain crowd in order to be able to do that. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, it is interesting, the, the discourse that came from that, because it was... Like, I think there was smaller content creators completely within their right minds to go, thanks for shoving us into, like, a kind of useless scrap heap uh, and kind of blatantly disregard the videos that we made for free that helped advertise the game to more people. Um, and then... Uh, well, just me, like, everything, every time yeah. I scroll TikTok, every time I scroll Instagram, I would see a cosy gamer recommending it. Yeah, and I mean, I knew I knew about it before from you, but if you hadn't told me about it, that's how I would have found out about it. And the sheer number of people recommending it to me, I probably would have looked into it. Um, because it's the thing though, that like I, I I was really looking forward to streaming it. I was really really looking forward to streaming it. It'd been on my wish list for probably about a year uh, mm-hmm. I, since I first heard about it, and like. Even even though I know that like you know he wasn't the dev and anything, I I can't bring myself to to do it now. It was just it left such a bad taste in my mouth that I was like, nah, I'm just apologize. not gonna bother. He, he did. He did apologize. But he, I'm also not inclined to give them any free coverage. Yeah. You know, I'm not inclined to be like because when I I stream very rarely, and normally it's whenever I'm doing a, a frostpunk hyperfixation. Uh, when i when i do it though 200 300 people show up because i you know and i'm like oh if i could have done that with spirity that would have been quite cool um but now i'm just like um nah like i'll I'll just keep i'll do a a game that's you know done something else or whatever but it's just very it's very disheartening as someone who does a lot of stuff you know i do a lot of things for free i actually have a bunch of books i I got sent by publishers and by indie authors that i'm going to be talking about coming up for 2024 Mm. um and i wouldn't expect payment for them because the kind of the industry i'm in runs on word of mouth yeah um but there are sometimes when a publisher does say to me, "Oh, if you do, if you if you make sure that what you say is favourable, we'll, you'll get paid for it," and I decline that a lot of the time because I don't want to be coerced into saying, "Yeah, this is great," when I don't actually like something. Um, so it, it's it makes it it makes it really disheartening to have someone who is also part of like a small creative team to be like, "Yeah, fuck those small creators; they don't do anything for us." Yeah, and it's like. <laughs> The funniest thing is I saw quite a lot of people who were, again, trying to counter the backlash here by saying the payment that the content creators get is YouTube ad revenue, as if that's, huh? like, like any sort of substantial amount of money. <laughs> like, I'm not even eligible for that. Like, I, I need to get I need to get a thousand subscribers and before I'm allowed to turn ads on. And it's like, I, I wouldn't really want to turn ads on anyway, but, like, there's so many content creators out there that are like sitting at like you know my level of subscribers they just produce gaming content and it's mm-hmm. like the only way that they can feasibly earn from that is obviously trying to grow as a creator and i know like and again i always have to i almost feel i have to apologize for talking shop too much but it's like there is a bit of give and take i know that i've accepted like free keys and and stuff like that and you know really chased and you know 
taken like even like you even bought upcoming games to try and make that content to try and expand your your follower base and it, you can get really into the whole industry side of it which is kind of minging but it's like th there is a bit of give and take before you make that jump into being paid for your content but if you've been doing this for a long time and people just think they can chuck a key at you and suddenly you're like you're roped into like covering the game it just seems a bit naff you know it takes it very much for granted that what you do doesn't matter and yeah. that bothers the shit out of me there i mean not to i i, I always say this but i always say like i i don't think that i'm a big pair like i'm not a big person i'm not a big twitter person i'm not a big tiktok person but the numbers I pull on Tumblr are You're still... You're quite big on to Tumblr, to be fair. Yeah, but the numbers I pull in are not modest. Like, there are several people, when I've talked about their book, they've gone from being, even with their publisher's official backing, they've gone from not really getting that many views and clicks and buys to suddenly being Amazon number one bestseller within 12 hours. Yeah. And that's because my audience loves to click a link. They love books. <laughs> and they know that I won't push anything at them that I personally do not like because yeah. I've built that. I've told them, like, I'm not going to sell you something. I'm not going to tell you something's good if it's not. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's something to sneer at. I think if whatever your random house can't get you to Amazon number one bestseller, but I can, and you say that what I'm doing is useless, fuck you. <laughs> I just, yeah. it, it's very like, obviously with games, it's slightly different. But it's still labor. They're still taking advantage of the audience and the community that you've taken time to build. Yeah. Like there are so many games that I bought because someone who I like their content said to me, listen, I know the reviews are bad, but this is actually really good. People are just being salty because it's not Stardew. Yeah. And like it's I've taken chances on things and some of them I've returned because I'm going, nah, I'm not really feeling it. Other things completely like take over my personality and I'm going, Yeah, that <laughs> person was right actually. It's just it's different from what people thought it would be. Yeah. Um and it's it's really, really just kind of I've said you know, I keep saying it, it's so disheartening to see another small ish creator go, Yeah, your labor doesn't mean anything. The time and energy you've put into building your community and to building the, the trust that people have in what you do doesn't mean anything. The free yeah. labor doesn't mean anything. And it's just like, it means a lot. You know, it's, I mean, it's especially like people always talk about how it's impossible to have an audience, a profitable audience on Tumblr. I'm not doing it for profit necessarily. I'm doing it for community. But there's no denying the fact that publishers send me books because they're going oh you've actually figured out how to get tumblr to click on links and they can't recreate it because they try and it doesn't work and it's because well you're a company and people know you're trying to sell them things whereas i go yeah that book was all right but i prefer this one they know yeah. that's a genuine person going oh actually you should probably read this one instead you know and it's just the lack of consistency across the board like again I think you're right. I think the lack of clarity for language made that tweet very bad. I think his not understanding how to, you know, his own lack of not understanding there's a difference between sponsorships and reviews. Like, yeah. that's 101 basic marketing. How are you missing that in this day and age? I, yeah. Like, yeah. It's, 
the, the thing is, is that I saw quite a lot of people that I like having, I, you know, I've, I've, I've worked in the industry for a, a wee bit now and I've, I've worked with multiple studios as well. And it was just the fact that like people who I constantly see held up on Twitter as these like real thought leaders within the industry were coming away with like the most like piss brained takes on what content creation was and like you know these are like level designers and you know like game designers and devs and it's like how like how have you how are you so entrenched in the industry but you've not made that like mental leap into how beneficial us like a massive part of your marketing is and the worst ones were the people who tried to compare it to Gamergate. They try to make it all about it's un- unethical for content creators to do it. And um, remember 10 years ago, and it's like, yeah, because Gamergate was about ethics and game journalism, apparently, as yeah. opposed to uh, just <laughs> misogyny and right-wing ghouls uh, having a go at people. Do you know what, um, what kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of Jodie Pico's... Uh, Indie, don't get into indie publishing because it's it's bad for the industry. It's bad for your career. Yeah, people that are taking it. it kind of came off as that, um, and it it it's that kind of like people who've been in the industry for a long time, and they think that the industry is how it was when they got into it. Yeah, I mean, like I there are they were is. they were a hundred percent parroting like you know it was almost like the whole the past five years, let alone ten years, has completely not happened. Like, content creations came on massively. I mean, a single TikToks can make an indie game a bestseller on Steam. You know, like... You just, it, look, you just have to look at the controversy over the TikTok shop at the minute and how much buying power... What's going um, on now? For those on... Oh, do you not know? No. Okay. So, the TikTok shop... Sorry, sorry, Holly clapped over her head. The TikTok shop is getting a bunch of people pulled down because they were selling copyrighted material. And it's all these people going, oh no, I'm losing my income because I was selling Disney knockoff merch and I didn't know that was, you know, I didn't know that the most viable (laughs) company in the world was going to come after me. Um, But these people were selling products by the, you know, they were earning so much money from like either the TikTok shop or just Amazon affiliates, which again, I've talked about this often, the number of, TikTok Insta girlies who don't declare that they're Amazon affiliates, they just show yes. you the product like and then drop you that little link. Link in, link in bio, and it's just yeah. like you have to declare that that's an ad. Mm-hmm. You have to. Um, and they don't. So all they're all getting completely destroyed at the minute. But these people make a fortune <laughs> from just having popular accounts that are going, you know, oh look at my, you know, this product, or oh, look at the software I use. Um and just the power of online presence and people who are constantly hustling yeah. can really, you know, make or break something that you're doing. Like I, I get a couple of like people mentioning hunger pangs on TikTok every couple of months. And I'm always like, why the hell is my, cause I, I don't post anything on my TikTok. I'm mostly just there to doom scroll. And I get <laughs> and, and be sent stardew memes <laughs> by, by you. Yeah. Um, and I always am shocked by the number of people with a sudden uptick and I'm like, oh, where is this coming from? And I check it and I'm like, oh, that's nice. That's that's really, you know, the sweet that, you know, BookTok's actually looking into my stuff considering I put no effort into being part of BookTok. And mm. um, 
But it, even the power of one content creator really liking your thing. Can, you know, I think I got 10 sales from that one person talking about it on TikTok. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. That's fantastic. That's like, you know, it's better than nothing. You know what I mean? Like the, a lot of the people that talk about, oh, well, I'm only getting 10 likes or 10 views. If you had 10 people in your house demanding to buy something from you, you'd be overwhelmed by that. Yeah. But there's, you know, all, there's all these things on TikTok where it's like, oh, I finally broke the, the 2000, you know, view limit and that I'm finally doing well. And I'm like, if you're getting any views, if you're getting any sort of feedback, that's good. Yeah. Like that. I think, yeah. <laughs> like for me, I'm, I'm maybe, maybe the TikTok algorithm's just like shit for me. But every single time I come across someone who's like actively trying to sell stuff, it's always the weirdest shit. Like going, like there's a guy that's selling like packs of felt tip pens. And I've seen him like yeah. multiple times, and it's like, who the fuck is buying all these felt tip pens? It's like the there must be like nurseries that are just like really going to town. Um, the one I always get is like this: it's like a laser thing for your face, and it's like, oh, the green light smooths out your pores, and the red gets rid of sun damage. And I'm going, you're basically just taking an LED light and shining it on your face, and I get <laughs> yeah. that constantly. And I'm just like. Who is buying this? And amusingly, that's one of the things that's getting taken off the TikTok shop because it's a ripoff product of an actual laser product used by an actual company. Mm. So, but yeah, I don't, I don't believe you didn't know about the TikTok shop. People, no, I, I, like I'm, I'm, destroyed. I'm, 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 I don't really explore the like because there is the shop tab that I'm never on. I've never clicked that in my life. And the the one thing that was actually got in, I I did debate um have like live streaming to TikTok right at the same time as a stream to, to Twitch, and because you're allowed to multi-stream. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, to, to do it on TikTok, you need to have a, a stream key from them. And they're only, like, you have to have an agent in order to, like, an agent that works with TikTok to get you that stream link. And it's like, why don't you just let me fucking do it? <laughs> it would make, make more sense. But... The way that TikTok monetizes a lot of things and the way they handle things is very much if you're not getting the amount of algorithm, if you're not, yeah. you know, it goes back to, you know, what's his face, Matt Reif. He's popular with the TikTok algorithm because he generates clicks. Yeah. You know, if you're not doing content that generates clicks, if you're not snappy and funny, or if you're not controversial, if you're not yelling at the camera, it's very difficult to actually monetize what you're doing on there. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it, a lot of profitability on TikTok comes from just theft, unfortunately. It, you, yeah. Whether it's yeah. product yeah. theft or it's content theft. Like, I mean, there's one creator who I know makes a lot of money in ads and, uh, you know, their, the TikTok creator pool. And their most liked video is reading my posts. I, like, I, oh. I, I had that fucking the other week. Someone had screenshotted my, one of my Tumblr posts and you did. You just did. read it. Really and I was like, you... Bandit, you like, I was like, I don't really care that much from a, you know, it was just a fucking whatever post, but it was the fact they took my name out the screenshot. I was like, come on, yeah. at least give me that. Uh, wild. Um, I'm, I'm, I lost, at least for me, when they put the, when crucifix nail nipples get stolen again, um, I've had people, I've seen it when it happens because people let me know about it. And there's people underneath going, this is written by Joy Demora, you should go buy her book. And I'm like, thank you, Beth. That's <laughs> yep. very sweet of you. But then the but then the person gets mad and starts deleting the comments yeah. because they don't want to redirect 
the potential whatever. Like I've had to I've had to file DCM like uh, takedowns against people who try to monetize. You know, they put crucifix nail nipples text on shirts. Yeah. And I'm like, absolutely the fuck not. No. I'm not I'm even so, making yeah. money off of it. You don't get to. <laughs> and then yeah. I'm the villain from that. And I'm like, this is content that I don't like. I signed an NDA for all these things. I can't even fully tell you the title of this thing. You are not putting this on a t shirt. Yeah. You're not putting, first of all, you're not putting my writing on the t shirt. The thing that makes Crucifix Nail Nipples funny is me. Yeah, it's, it's your narration. It's absolutely <laughs> fuck all to do with because the content isn't funny. The content, the content of Crucifix Nail Nipples is horrible. Um, but it's, it's your it's your narration and spin that's great. And um, it's people were people were putting my quotes on T-shirts for the TikTok shop, and I was like, no, 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 absolutely the fuck not. See, it's um, funny that you get you get stuff like that in the TikTok shop, and I get people who are selling felt tip pens and toilet roll, but it's always like. Individual, <laughs> but the thing is, is like, see, see if they were saying, um, I have this giant box of toilet roll that'll do you for the whole fucking year. You'll be able to wipe your arse all year round, and you won't need to buy toilet roll ever again. I would be like, yeah, sure, but like, they're selling me like individually wrapped rolls of toilet roll. I'm like, why? Who the fuck is buying this? Just go to Asda. What are you doing? Is that the Bamboo Club or something? There's a toilet roll brand that's like like eco-friendly, but everything's individually wrapped. And I'm like, that seems worse. Yeah. I um, can guarantee that the eco-friendly part is that it's single ply and your, your finger goes <laughs> right through it. Uh, ruins <laughs> ruins your, your day. Um, yeah, I remember that was, a, that was a thing. And then there was the, like, tell you what is the future, right? And I think it is astonishing that um toilet roll companies haven't can't believe we're talking about this on the fucking ice field. um <laughs> toilet roll companies should remove the tube in the middle tubeless toilet roll is a thing now right and it just it makes so much sense why are we wasting all the like to get the fucking mulch to make the tube like what's the fucking point integrity. structural integrity on your toilet roll holder i suppose it's it's not because you can you can actually make the structural integrity fine with just toilet roll because uh, you can like they do this thing where they like add an extra loop and then by the by the last sheet it comes undone and it's another sheet of toilet roll it, it, the structure you can you can put it on your toilet roll holder it doesn't rip doesn't do shit Sorry, I'm a I'm a I'm a tubeless toilet roll man now. I've I've been fucking converted. I think everyone should do it. Go out to your local supermarket, buy tubeless. Um, this is now an ad, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I, I like because you know what it is. How many times have you got like multiple of those little fucking tubes dotted around your your toilet? It's it's a nightmare, and then you're always arguing with your family over who didn't take the fucking tubes down at the bin. Sorry, I've I've got I've got trauma from growing up. <laughs> <laughs> See, we yeah. got around that by putting a trash can in the bathroom, and they just go straight in there. Yeah, no, no, the people don't fucking bother. That's the thing. I, I've encountered it. I've I've walked into other people's houses. <laughs> I have been invited, but <laughs> I've I've seen it, and they just leave all the tubes. It's like they, no, okay. So there's two things that I'm overly passionate about now, and it's tubeless toilet roll and burgers should be wider, not burger. taller. Yes, 
Honestly. No, I, I get you. You know what? You know what's even better than recycling? The thing not being made in the first place. That's true. Because I'm, I'm just thinking, like, toilet roll companies must churn out fucking millions of those tubes. I, I, I did. I, I brought, I brought this up with my, my, my mum, who's a, a rainbow leader. And she's like, yeah, but you'd be depriving me of like all the crafts because <laughs> she she always is like them. Yeah. turns turns them into a rabbit at, uh, at Easter or turns them into a reindeer at <laughs> Christmas. I was like, yeah, but nah, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's time we need to move on. They're great for Warhammer scenery. Okay, okay yeah, cheese. Okay, you've you've beat me on that one. Um. Sorry, that was an absolute tangent and a half. Complete tangent. It's fine. I did say that on the podcast, whatever else takes our fat on, on the Tumblr, whatever else we happen to talk about. But Yeah, because um, we were also going to talk about um, <laughs> the the most influential women in Scotland. Oh, for fuck's sake. This, yeah. I, I, like, the moment I saw this, I was like, ah, this is definitely, like, <laughs> something to trigger joy like <laughs> let me send her it um flashback you sent it into my discord the discord chat and yeah. you knew the response you were gonna get was just swearing for a second <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like if there was like the the bleep noise <laughs> just bleeping out all of your obscenities but yeah like the bbc and this like i remember i've been criticized on tumblr a couple of times for calling the bbc like propaganda right I hate the way that the BBC operate. I, I generally do. I think their politics is terrible. I think how they approach a uh, culture is horrible as well. And I remember I got <laughs> I got attacked on Twitter by someone who was part of BBC The Social uh, because I said that BBC The Social is terrible as well. Because what so, for for those who need to know about BBC The Social, it was pitched at like young people who had something specific, like something interesting to chat about, right? They were like, they were creators, they were, they were cosplayers, they were people who played games and did let's plays and, and all this kind of stuff. But the problem was, is the BBC The Social tried to like scoop all of these people up. They didn't want them to have a YouTube channel and give them support and you know, equipment or even like, you know, passing on some knowledge about how, you know, the world of media and entertainment work. They wanted to like do it all in house and they wanted the creator to come in and it be like published under BBC The Social, right? And it was, it was always really, really minging. Um, and <laughs> to go back to what we were saying, the BBC put out an article that was like, the woman that have changed Scotland. And they chose fucking Diana Gabaldon. Come on. American. Like, yeah. An American movie. Like, American she's writes bad historical Scottish romance. And it, yeah. she's not even a historian. She's a marine biologist. Yeah. But, but apparently she's revolutionised Scottish tourism. I had forgotten that nobody wanted to visit Scotland before she published Outlander. It's like, come on to yeah. fuck. Never like, mind there's... the fact that the people that go on her tours have desecrated Scottish sites. Yeah. Never mind that the clan Fraser, um, there's a marker at the Battle of Culloden for the clan Fraser. Never mind it's been fucking graffitied by her fans who want to take a piece of clan Did... Fraser with them because of the book. 
I'm pretty sure that did someone you know the you know the cliffies did someone not tidy up a site? There, there was like people so. had been like tying you know like the cluthies where they tie ribbons to trees and stuff. I'm pretty sure someone went in and tidied that. Someone oh, so, went so, in something and took them down because people people were tying too many things to the tree and it was starting to rot the tree. Right. Okay. That's maybe a different thing. thing. Like, yeah, but there's um people were doing like them um, they're like prayer. Uh, ribbons which are fine in moderation but there yeah. were so many of them happening from these tours it was literally damaging the trees and the trees were getting rotted as the synthetic material was just not you know it's different if you're using a biodegradable material but they're using like synthetic stuff and it damages the tree it damages the wildlife it's basically just putting plastic into the scottish wilderness because yeah. you know, we don't have enough of that already um and it's a very kind of um, a lot of the Outlander fans go to these places and they do things like that. Like they go to the standing stones that she kind of made famous, yeah. and they're all touching it, and it's starting to erode. Yeah, and it's like, wow, this thing survived literally from the Iron Age, and you fuckers are destroying it. Yep. It. Don't touch it. <laughs> Don't touch Don't the thing. Um. But yeah, I don't yeah, mind it as I don't mind it as much on the statue of Greyfriars Bobby because he's got a wee gold nose now. <laughs> yeah, and all, and also <laughs> that's kind of nice. not um That's not ancient and it's a statue that's that chucked up. Statues can be repaired. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Be remade. But these standing stones were put there for you know, they think now that Stonehenge is basically a giant musical calendar. And they had to put huh. Stonehenge behind that area because people were destroying it by touching it and everything else. But they're not putting those same protections in place for Scotland because reasons, I guess. Yeah, funding, um, probably. The idea that A, she revolutionised Scottish tourism, when Scottish tourism was one of the biggest contributors to our, you know, our you know, economy our since our forever. Life. Yeah, because people have always been going to the Scottish Highlands. Actually, did you, that- did you know that Diana Gabaldon invented the fringe? <laughs> she invented the Fringe Festival and she invented Shortbread as well as the Outlander series fuck off <laughs> no oh man it's like it's, I don't understand and of course like it was that fucking tweet that she did as well where she was like she she butchered she she butchered contem- <laughs> she butchered contemporary Scottish history as well as <laughs> old Scottish history as well. Um, the SNP came into power in the 1950s. Scotland has forgotten its own language. Hen, we didn't have our own parliament until recently. <laughs> yeah, it was the like hell? yeah, the SNP they did exist, but they didn't come to power until 2007. Um. It's just hell. Oh, thank you, thank you, Waffle Fraud, for finding my <laughs> my post. <where laughs> Seventeen-year-old me accidentally told Diana about and her book was shit because I didn't know who she was and she was fishing for compliments. Oh, um, well. <laughs> we've, I've talked about this before. If you want to find out the full story, it's in one of our earlier podcasts. You'll see it labeled with Diana Gabaldon. Um Yeah, you can go and find in, it. <laughs> yeah, she came into the restaurant where I was working. Um, it was a slow day. And she basically started fishing for compliments from me and she started up with, have you heard of Outlander? And I just went, yep, (laughs) I've heard of it. And completely just like, yeah, you can tell the author's never been to Scotland and doesn't really respect our culture and our history. (laughs) Still true. 
Still true. I like that. Oh, I, j I just need to make a, a, a light mention of Diana Gabaldon and we, we get that story. It's like my winter soldier sleeper agent. You just mentioned yeah. Diana Gabaldon. Diana Gabaldon is, <laughs> is, is, is my... <laughs> Is your tubeless toilet roll uh, yeah. and and wide burgers, um, yeah. But I, again, I think that was just the way like the BBC kind of approached that. I mean, the, the BBC like, is so patronising when it comes to anything Scotland. Yeah, I mean, even the pictures they use for to talk about Scottish things. Like when the one of the last things when they talked about Diana Gabaldon, all they showed was shirtless men in kilts screaming. And they were talking about bringing civilization to the north, and mm. it's like it's you know it's like when Americans ask me, "Oh, do you have television in Scotland?" We fucking invented it. <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't. We're not living in the middle. Some of us are living in the middle of nowhere, but like it's it's you know it's this weird idea, romanticized idea that it's it's perpetually stuck in the past because people love to romanticize it to a point where it doesn't make sense. And that's what Diana Gabaldon has contributed to with her well, cult history. We do know somewhere that's stuck in the past, and it's Glen Rothy, a newly invented Scottish town for Hollywood. Um, You're going to make me watch this, and I... <laughs> oh, we are. We're, no, no, I'm joy, joy, joy. We're not just going to watch it. We're going to watch it with everyone. <laughs> we, we were going to have to have a movie night where we all tune in um, and cry the entire way through for anyone who hasn't heard of glenn rothy it's the new net is it netflix so it's um, uh, it's it, i'm trying to remember it's like hold on i need to find the thing on my phone because I, I screenshotted it and i was like I, I think i tagged you like six times in it you're like joy yeah, joy joy I, <laughs> I didn't see it until i was searching your blog for something else what were you searching for I don't even remember because I got so distracted by the film, so I don't think <laughs> um, It was one of your posts about something else, and then I got completely sidetracked by the Glendrothies. It's another. It's another. Um, a castle for Christmas. An American comes to Scotland and fixes their lack of Christmas spirit. Yes. So, um, I I have no idea who any one is. Californian actress Jill Winternitz. Anyone know who that is? No. Well. Jill Winternitz arrives in the Scottish village of Glenrothy, not Glenrothes, an actual place, Glenrothy, um, which she's disappointed by the lack of Christmas decoration decorations in the village. She discovers that the festive season has not been celebrated in Glenrothy since 1640. <laughs> fucking... Jessica was like, this Glenrothy, the Scrooge of Scotland. It's like, they do not want anything to do with it. You know what, actually? Glenrothy's just really based and they push back against the capitalism nightmare that they're Christmas just, has they're become. E they're, either, they're either just anti capitalists or they're Calvinists and they just reject. <laughs> like, oh yeah, Christmas isn't actually in the Bible, so we don't celebrate it. You know? it'd, it'd be fucking um, funny as shit if this was like, they, they went and it just turned out it was the wee freeze. That would that would be so funny. Right, I need to know who Jill Winternitz is. She was in uh, The Sandman. Oh, um, okay. She's, she's been in Good Omens, actually. She plays Harriet Dowling, whoever that is. Okay. 
Holy shit! Is the film out? Joy, it's got I a six. It's got a six point two on IMDb. Oh. An, on a trip to Scotland, an installation designer finds herself helping a small community create a festive light display, despite the interventions of a wealthy heir. Forced to work together, they unite to bring seasonal magic to light. Holy fuck. I, I need, like, something needs to be said about Americans, like, and their horniness for Christmas, for one. But also, like, the weird bringing festive cheer. Like, that's, that's fucking murder. Right, let's find out. Is the main man Scottish? Hmm? I Sorry. have so Sorry, I'm having I'm literally having to gather <laughs> myself because I'm so angry right now. There are so many good Scottish romance books by Scottish authors that don't get picked up and shit like this continues to get made. And it's all about teaching Scottish people to enjoy American capitalism. I hate it. Holy shit, Joy, Joy. Uh, I, someone, hold on. How the hell do I, I need to find a link to send this? The the poster for the film has him in a... has the guy in the kilt and a woman in a red yes, dress yeah, yeah. with the tartan. Uh -huh. Look at the lion rampants in the background. Why are they sideways? <laughs> <laughs> what, what the fuck? What's going on? <laughs> They put the flags uh, up wrong. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Hold on. What's it called? A, a, it's a Scottish Christmas wank. Christmas in Scotland. It's Christmas. just literally Christmas in Scotland. That's... She's installed them the wrong way. She's some interior yeah. designer. That's <laughs> it's actually it's part of the aesthetic. <laughs> I, it's, I like to... they, it's like when they turn books around so that it's the spines are against the back of the thing and all you can see is pages for aesthetic reasons and I'm like, I fucking hate you. Sorry that um, for that horrible link in chat, but if you click on it, you'll see the horizontal line rampants that are trying to attack the ceiling from either side. Holy fuck. Oh, wait, hold on. Is that is that another one? Wait, I said, oh my god, Joy, we might... Holy there shit, two? there's two. No. Joy, there's no. two. No. There's there's a there, I still don't I know what this was. There's Christmas in Scotland and there's a Merry Scottish Christmas. And a Merry Scottish Christmas is a Hallmark film. Like actual stamped Hallmark Channel film. Can't do this. I'm not strong enough. <laughs> I don't know. Holy shit the the sorry, hold on. The the one that the one that I just said, the A Merry Scottish Christmas, has the lassie who played Gretchen Wieners from Mean Girls as the, <laughs> the lead. Holy shit. Oh, we've got to watch these back to back and cry. All at once. Yes. Oh. We have yeah, we have to watch <laughs> we'll get it. We'll 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 allow people to vote on which one we watch first. What? I looked up the poster for a Merry Scottish Christmas. They've airbrushed all the pores off their skin. They look. <laughs> they're also they're also like weirdly apart in 
it's his royalty's relative is the is the slogan for the film. But they're, they're also standing so far apart, it's like they've agreed to, to divorce just before they took the photo. Holy shit. Skin texture, they don't look real. They they did look like they're getting divorced and they're just posing for pictures. But no, my so, my screen it was just this like poreless face of a man. Holy fuck! Sorry, Grey Trees pointed out that the the lassie Lacey Chabert, who played Gretchen Wieners, almost exclusively does Christmas films. <laughs> I mean, if you've got your niche, if you've oh, got your fuck. niche, stick with it. But get out it's... of my fucking country. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> So, hold on, I'm yet to find out, so the guy, the guy who's in that, the, I'm sorry, the guy who's in A Merry Scottish Christmas as, I am guessing, the Scottish guy. His name is Scott, his name is Brad. His no, his name's Scott Wolf, is it not? Is that not the actor? No, I think it's Brad Morgan. Brad Morgan okay, is the Scottish guy. And Scott Scott Wolf is the No, fucking... Scott Richard Wolf is an American actor. He is known for his role in the television series Party of Five as Bailey Salinger, as Jake Hartman in Everwood, and as Chad Decker in No, his name <laughs> they've called him Brad. Brad Morgan <laughs> is his Scottish name in the film. And Wolf, his actual name sounds more Scottish than the name they've given him. And uh, <laughs> he, so he was born in Boston. Um, Fantastic! I'm, I can't wait for that accent. I'm still go working my way through the Christmas in Scotland cast. the The three, <laughs> the three top cast are none of them are Scottish. Um. Jane McFarlane is known for Outlander and the Exorcism of Karen Walker. Uh, I was going to say Jane McFarlane's up there with potentially being Scottish. Actually, not guaranteed. Yeah. I can't believe there's two this year. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll, I'll look so. Um, Hobson's is a website where I think people can put up that they're a voice actor and there is Jane McFarlane on there and the description is Scottish, warm, smooth, expressive age range 40s to 50s Sounds like a cup of tea Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a Scottish and, blend and, and the dashing, the dashing lad who is playing the the actual Scottish wealthy landlord um, is best known for um, Outpost, Rise of the Spetsnaz, and uh, Outpost Black Sun, which I think is like a proper, like, really naff Nazi zombie film <laughs> from like twenty. 2008, maybe. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Getting some top talent, then, it seems, for everyone to just... I mean, literally, they could go to the, you know, the, the Royal Academy in Glasgow and just pick any actor, and they'd just be just as well-known and do just as good a job. Probably just better, because they'd actually be Scottish. I was going to say, pluck someone off the fucking street here, and you'd probably get a better, <laughs> get a better effort. 
So we've got a merry Scottish Christmas and Christmas in Scotland to look forward to. And the good thing is, is that I have a hard ban on Christmas movies until at least the first. So we don't need to watch it for the next four fucking Very days. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. Why do, like, uh, does Ireland get this? Ireland must get this as well, right? There must be Irish Hallmark films. I'm going to, I'm actually going to Irish Christmas movies. Like, there's got to be. Christmas at Castle Heart seems to be an Irish one. Um, but like, do you think? Do you think like a, does does like Australia get them? Is there like Hallmark films that are marketed to Australia and they go and they like fucking work on a kangaroo farm and you know it's all between. I actually did see a Christmas one that was set in Australia and she inherits her mum's B and B in the American outback and that was actually pretty good. Um. Yeah, but it was still a Hallmark Christmas movie. But it was just there was kangaroos, um, and uh, I it imagine was... it'd be warm <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah, I'm not seeing a lot of Irish ones. That's an untapped market. We sh- we should get the we should inform the American, we should inform Netflix, and no, we shouldn't. <laughs> we should not inflict this on other people. <laughs> I like how if you're, I'm sorry if you're listening to this on Spotify, but this has just turned into a complete, absolute tangent of a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> for the- just, just all of us kind of going. That is wild, though, isn't it? I, I don't know why. Can the Scottish government like intervene? Can we be like, sorry, Hollywood, no. A lot of these things get grants from Scottish art foundations, and it's oh, like, why? Fucking better not. They do like, like that. That the Figaro one. That that um the falling whatever, for Figaro. Jesus oh, Christ, Figaro. that was rough. That got a that got a grant from the Scottish Arts Group, and I don't know why. Like, I just it's it's very weird to see. Like, oh yeah, well it's set in Scotland, so it's good for us. Not if none of the cast are Scottish. Like in the Castle for Christmas, a lot of the Scottish people in the town were English pretending to be Scottish. You're telling me you couldn't have gone north and just hired a bunch of Scottish actors? You would think, but um probably not, no. Um Joy, I absolutely hate to say this, but there there, there might be a third. No. You stop looking right now. <laughs> there might be a third. Um... Oh, no, sorry. You're saved by the bell. It was one that we missed last year. Called oh, thank God. Saving Christmas Spirit. They really do like just slapping Christmas in the title, eh? Do. Do you want what to... What was that Is one it... about? Oh! Oh! Oh, no, oh my god! Joy, fucking hell, you right. Hold on. When brilliant and sharp-witted archaeologist Lucy Stewart decides to spend her Christmas break in the Scottish Highlands, she goes on a quest to find the ruins of a shrine to ancient goddess Bira, the Queen of Winter. 
she checks into a manor house which is run by the boisterous Edina McAvoy who believes it's inhabited by the Christmas loving ghost of her husband. Lucy enlists the aid of the charming Duncan McAvoy, Edina's son, to help her navigate potential sites. Duncan owns a struggling whiskey distillery. A struggling whiskey distillery. Come on to fuck. <laughs> it's like it's like there's there's one thing in Scotland that's not struggling at the moment. It's fucking whiskey distilleries. He's joy. He's what are you doing drinking it himself. Well, I, I I here's here's a hint. I think I know why it's struggling now. He's hoping that his new scotch called Christmas Spirit can save his business from a hostile takeover. <laughs> hurt me like this. <laughs> Why do you hurt yourself like this? I don't know. It's fucking funny. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. How did it? <laughs> I feel like I'm getting hate crimed. <laughs> Why do I have imposter syndrome? Uh, what? <laughs> so who's the lead in this? She's okay. She's she's done a lot. Oh my god, she's done a lot of right. Okay, seeing my next life. Right, I have decided I am going to be reincarnated as like uh I'll. Like a kind of midwestern American lassie in a kind of upper middle class family who exclusively does Christmas films and just chills for that. At least I'll have a good time. I'll get sent to Scotland and I'll get to get to marry the the various Highlanders of my dreams. Um, that's that's the plan. Saving the Christmas spirit. Yeah, see, saving Christmas spirit. Good lord. Right. I'm not watching that one. I'll watch the two new ones. Okay, that's oh, fine. Thank you, thank you for clipping that one, Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> um, fucking hell, Joy. There's a couple that we've just completely missed. Missed or say avoided for the sake of our mental health. Well, apparently these go back as far back as 2019. There was Christmas in the Highlands. So there was obviously the classic. There's a, there's, you know, the classic A Castle for Christmas. Um, and then apparently there was a Christmas Carol set in Scotland in 2018. It's like, A Timeless Story by Charles Dickens gets an unexpected makeover with a Scottish twist. Like, I'm guessing from, like, a BBC perspective, there's just, like, fucking, you know, the Iron Brew and Shortbread and, I don't know, the Ghosts of Christmas Past. They're like, yeah. Christmas in the Highlands, Lost at Christmas. The movie is about a couple of strangers stuck in Scotland that are perfect for each other. And they only have till Christmas to realise that for themselves. Or they die. Yeah. Rough. I, I, yeah, I've kind of like Squid Game, Scot like Scottish Christmas. That's doesn't <laughs> seem very relaxing. I'm it, the thing that annoys me with this more than anything is that like 
in all of the films that we've just listed and laughed at and, you know, we've all, you know, making jokes, like, there is not a single Scottish person in the fucking top cast for them. And I find that, like, appalling. Like, you would think that, okay, sure, if you're Hollywood and you want a big name to pull in the American crowd, so you go for, um, whatever the fuck her name was, um... Uh, Brooke Shields. Mm-hmm. You go for Brooke Shields. Yeah, Brooke Shields. She'll bring in. She'll bring in some some folk. Uh, but then you go for like the like the Scottish extras or the supporting cast who are supposed to be Scottish, and you just don't include them. It's it's really strange. I don't know why. It's like why do you need to go down to why do you need to go down to London to try and recruit for it? And the studio might be in London, so I kind of get that. But, like, I don't know. If you're shooting in Scotland, why would you not approach people here? We have four major theatre schools in Scotland. Yeah. And they're all going down south to put on English accents. Like, poor David Tennant. I don't think he knows what his own voice sounds like anymore. Um, yeah. He only gets to be Scottish when he's being Scrooge McDuck. Um, and oh, it's, sorry, I, that, that reminds me of, uh, I, I did watch, I'm not sure if it's a new one on Amazon Prime, or, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a, yeah, it is new, it's 2023, um, Gerard Butler's new film, Plane, right? And mm-hmm. I think Gerard Butler's cottoned on to the fact that he gets the absolute shit ripped out of him in Scotland for his really weird accent, because of course he... Before he went out to America and became a star over there, he was mm-hmm. down grafting in London and has just has his accents all over the place. But there's there's a really bad bit at the start of the film where like his co-pilot on his plane, who he's meeting for the first time, suggests that he might be English, and Gerard Butler does the whole faux eh, No lad, I'm Scottish. Don't call me English. You know, it's like it's really it's like the kind of caricature, I mean, like, if someone suggested I was English, I would correct them, uh, just on account of it being the truth. But, like, you know, you can feel he's proper, like, chewing that line up. He's he's really trying to re-establish himself, and he's got the, like, he's really putting on the accent. <laughs> and you're like, Ugh. can just try to not do that. Um, But yeah, if you... Joy, I would. I wouldn't suggest watching the film. It's a very bland action film. But if you want to hear, oh, I think Joy's disappeared. <laughs> well, that's handy. Basically, Cheddar Butler scared Joy away. My um, neck's dying. Help! Oh, <laughs> there you are. You're back. There we go. I was gonna say Cheddar Butler. You, like you heard Cheddar Butler, and you were like, "Fuck it, I am out." <laughs> I'm, I'm out. I'm leaving. No, it was. It's been my internet's been going. I think it's because of the snow we're getting. Oh, um, joy. But yeah, <laughs> I was like, I heard Jared Butler pretending to be not or something saying, saying English and then acting really roughly. And then my internet just went, nope. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. If, if you're going to watch the film, I would watch up till that point, which is about five minutes in, and then you can close it. Um, it it's, it's, it's rough. Um, and yeah, I remember this Phantom in the Opera. Jesus. Um, but yeah, oh I thought he was in Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> I think he I is the Phantom of the Opera. 
I think I wiped that from my memory. Was he that bad in it? I'm, I don't think he... It wasn't think... good. Yeah. Work in progress. He was really good in 300. I liked him in 300. Best thing he's ever done. Yeah. Um... Right, I think that is us concluding this weird clusterfuck of an episode. We we started out with all of our topics planned and we descended we into out. anarchy. We were so proud of ourselves. We were talking on Thursday and we're like, <laughs> we've got this sorted, we're organised. This is the least organised podcast we've ever done. <laughs> we, we were saying to each other, like, holy shit, we've got all of our topics for Thursday and we're going to be able to fill the whole two hours <laughs> with it. Uh, no, that's no, not the case. Completely off the rails. Sorry Just remember, in a weird week. <laughs> Tubeless toilet roll. That's it. How many actually got cut? We, to be fair, we did cover the ones. We just, I think we thought we'd have more. I think um, the other stuff was just more interesting. I think yeah. we were like, Matt wife, what's to say about him? We're like, yeah, we can probably get 40 minutes out of that. And we got into him. We're like, actually, he's not worth wasting. <laughs> Matt Rife doesn't deserve 40 minutes of our fucking time. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, we'll wrap up there, folks. Thank you very much to everyone who's listening on the podcast stuff. If you are uh, listening here, though, hang around. We'll have a wee chat afterwards. We'll be hanging um, out and you can see Holly Mop. Exactly. But we will see you next time. Catch you in a bit, folks. Bye-bye.